Well, good morning. I'm going to ask, I'm going to say that again. Good morning. All right, there you are. All right, my name is uh, Quentin, and uh, I'm the pastor of Redemption Church, Calgary South, and it is so good to be with you today. Uh, John is a dear friend. John and Beth are dear friends of ours within the Great Commission Collective, and uh, we were just out this past week in uh, Ontario, or I mean Ontario, and we had an awesome time out there together, but you know what happens when, when all the Albertans and BC people go out to Ontario, we all just gather together and love to spend our time together as well, so it was a a true blessing to be out there worshiping the Lord and being equipped for the ministry as well. I'm going to ask you to grab your Bibles and uh, turn to the book of 1 John. And you guys have pews, so you must have Bibles in the pews. You know, our church, we set up every Sunday, we got to pass them around. Actually, I see you guys are passing them around. If you need a Bible, uh, go ahead and put your hand up, and our ushers would love to bring one to you. We want you to be in God's Word, God's holy Word, His sufficient Word, his, his word that is infallible and without error, and the word that is sufficient, again, to show us the glory of Jesus Christ and the gospel, the saving gospel that can only be found in his name. So as you're turning in, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, we're going to be looking at today, verses 7 to 12 in chapter 4, as you're turning there, let me ask you, why do you think it is that the New Testament seems to be so consumed with the topic of loving one another. Why is it that the apostles John and Peter and Paul call the church over and over again to love one another? Or even more so that our Savior Jesus Christ himself actually gives us even a new commandment that we are to love one another just as he has loved us. He says, you also are to love one another. Why do we need such exhortation in that? Why is there need for such a command? I mean, do we really need to be commanded to love one another? You know, isn't, isn't love just one of those natural and easier aspects of the Christian faith that just comes naturally with the becoming a Christian? That as the Lord draws people and he saves people and then he draws them together as a church, that authentic love for one another, just as this, this abundant kind of a utopian bliss that we all share together where everyone just gets along so perfectly, right? And nobody ever gets in a conflict, right? Nobody ever gets a hurt feeling. Nobody's ever left out. We never sin against each other, that our, our lives together as the church is now just some kind of bliss, why such a command? Why would we need such a command to love one another? Well, if you've been a Christian for some time now, and if you've been around the church for some time in your life, you know full well why we need such a command. Why we need to be told and reminded over and over again to love one another. Friends, there's an aspect that love is natural, but... Supernatural love does not come naturally. It doesn't come easily. And even, even that as love is a spiritual fruit in the spiritual walk, we don't always love so well. We don't always get along. And it can be a challenge that still uh, pervades the church. Well, instead of it being some kind of an idealistic loving bliss, we as Christians, friends, can still be prone to hurting one another, offending one another. We can be unloving at times. 
Well, friends, the reason that we need to be told and commanded over and over to love one another is because we need to hear it over and over again. We need to be reminded over and over again just how crucial love is to God because it has everything to do with who he is. It has everything to do with all that he is. And as the Apostle John is known to be the apostle of love, no other New Testament writer addresses this topic more than he does. In fact, in just the book of 1 John alone, he mentions love some 24 times. And this command to love one another is squarely addressed in three sections. The first section, the third section, even into chapter 4. Today we're going we're gonna to see here that as God has commanded for the church to love one another, this is, this is something that's preeminent in our life as the church. Uh, as we've been, uh, if you see this uh, topic of, of authentic love, we went through 1 John last year together as a church, and the Lord did a lot of work through that in our, in our hearts to grow us in love for one another. And uh, so one of the themes we had going was there's this mirror. The Bible is the mirror of God, and it shows us his character, shows us his desires, and as we look into that mirror, we're wanting to look into our authentic selves as being renewed in the image of Jesus Christ. And one of those aspects is that we are to love one another as Christ has loved the church. So starting here in chapter 4, verses 7 to 12, it says this. John's writing to the church that he loves. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we gather as the saints who have been redeemed out of darkness, out of the domain of darkness, and we have been saved by Jesus Christ from the chains of our sin. And we've been freed now to be slaves of Christ, to serve him and to, to live for him and to worship him. And, and we gather together as the body of Christ, filled by your spirit, the spirit who has written the words of God, the, the Bible, that we can come to understand who you are and, and what it means to know Jesus Christ and to be saved from our sin. We're so thankful that we have the spirit abiding in us this morning the spirit that is always at unity with your word. And so as we open your word before us, we pray that you would speak, that you would move me aside, and that your very words would do the work that they are sent to do, that they would not return void as you have promised. And so as you are at work in Redemption Olds, we pray to you, for you to continue to work here this morning and for the days ahead for your glory. And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. 
Well, friends, if you want to love one another the way God loves, you must embrace what authentic love truly is. And to embrace what authentic love truly is means that you need to start with the source. You need to start with the source of love. We must start by, and this is your first point, knowing the foundation of authentic love. That's where John begins here in verse 7 to 8. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. So as John is addressing his beloved church, and I know that you guys have John, he would address you as a beloved church, I address you as the beloved church here as well. And if, and if we are to love God, or love one another authentically, as we are so clearly commanded here, right here in the scriptures, it all starts out by knowing the foundation for such love. And as John here says, it's coming down to love, it starts with coming down to knowing that love is not from us, but love is from God. And it starts with knowing our God who is love. And so let's start out with that concept, that love is from God. Friends, love is from God. What this means, friends, is that love isn't a thing in and of itself. Love isn't something that just mysteriously shows up one day from out of nowhere Love isn't something that just naturally evolved from within us, maybe as some kind of a survival mechanism, but rather, love came from somewhere else. Love comes from a source outside of our world. Love comes from the very fountainhead of love itself, who is the very person of God. That's what John means here by saying for or because, right? Love is from God. That means that when you see it or you experience it right in front of you, again, this didn't come from nowhere. It didn't come from within yourself, but rather that it came from the true source, God himself. It's like when a a prospector finds a golden nugget along a dry creek bed. He knows that that piece of gold didn't just appear randomly there on the creek bed from nowhere. No, he knows that the nugget of gold comes from a source, and it comes from a vein of gold somewhere else. It's also like when you experience that warmth of a you know, of a sunbeam on your face. You know that the beam of light and heat didn't come from the earth, but rather that it comes from the sun, some, you know, 147 million kilometers away. Light and heat, and through this reaction of fusion, this this radiance just continues to pour out and shine forth energy towards us with unlimited supply and abundance. So love comes from God. It comes from somewhere outside of ourselves, outside of our world. And so, friends, again, biblically speaking, love isn't just a thing in and of itself. Love is from God. And, friends, we need to know this. 
And we need to know this all the more in a world that is so confused about love, a world that is so flippant about love, a world that is trying to redefine love, and even our own hearts that don't fully understand love. So friends, love is not just defined by the experience or feelings or sentiment, but rather that love is defined by its source. It's defined by God himself, who, by the way, John also says here, as you look at the end of verse 8, is not only the source of love, but is love himself. God is love. And so, friends, what we see here is that not only is love sent and given by God, but that the source of love is his very nature. It's who he is. It's like that sun radiating its beams. God is pure, authentic love to the very core of who he is. And he's radiating that love, and he's overflowing that love to us. Commentator Leon Morris puts it this way. He says, God is love. This means more that God is loving or that God sometimes loves. It means that he loves not because he finds objects worthy of his love, but because it is his nature to love. His love for us depends not on what we are, but on what he is. He loves us because he is that kind of a God, because he is love. Now, when you look at the word love here, in the Greek, the word agapao is the, is the root here. If you've heard of agape love, that's where we get this in the ancient Greek. Uh, the ancient Greek in that day has, you may not have known this, but has about five different types of words for love. And each possible word choice has different nuances and meanings in regard to love. But as agape love, as it's being used here, is used most often to speak about the quality and the kind of love that is associated with God's love, agape literally means, and it speaks of, an unconditional love. Love that is given from one person to another, not by preference or partiality, but love that is freely chosen and it is freely given. It's love that comes from the very benevolent courts of God alone, according to his abundant grace and will alone. This is love that cannot be earned by any kind of effort. This is love that cannot be coerced or enticed. This is love that is is not based on a fleeting feeling or emotion, but rather love that is just fully benevolent and charitable. It's love that seeks and keeps the best for the beloved. Love towards God's people, despite their fallenness and their foolishness. And so friends, the love that John is commanding his church to have for one another is this kind of same agape love. Right? That's, that's love for one another that's not based on favoritism or feelings. It's love that's not expecting anything in return. But love that is from God. The love of who God is, love that is freely given and given willingly to each other for the good of the other person. 
It's the same love that Paul wrote about in Ephesians 2.4, where it says, But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love for which he loved us. Or it's the love that we see in John 3.16, For God so loved the world. It's the same love we see throughout the Bible, even going back to Exodus 34.6, where God himself proclaims his, his very own character and his namesake to Moses, where he says, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in what? Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Friends, the type of love that God gives and God is, is that great, abounding, pursuing, and keeping love. And that love can be found nowhere else but in God and as it flows out through his people. Now as we think about God's love here and how he loves for the good and the best of his beloved, we have to make sure to understand how his love rolls out. That this love that God has isn't just some kind of a big tent, kind of a universalist approach to love, right? Well, they might proclaim, oh, love is love. God doesn't really care about your sin. He's not really concerned about your transformation. doesn't really care about your holiness. No, if we think about love that way, friends, that is a false idea of love. No, friends, God's love is a love that doesn't wink at sin. His love is not like a spoiling grandfather. His love doesn't close his eyes to your behavior. No, although his love is contingent upon his own righteousness, it's not contingent upon your righteousness. His love is concerned about your growth in righteousness for sure, but his love is contingent upon Christ's righteousness. I remember an old preacher once saying, God's love is not a pampering love, but it's a perfecting love. Friends, God's love is a refining and a transforming love. On one hand, it's the love sought, who sought you in your sin, but in the same breath, it's, it's the love that also sanctifies you from your sin. And he does this for your good. And he does this for his glory. It's like the love you might have for your own children. A love that not only gloats over them in all of their cuteness, but even more so, it's a love that knows that we ought to discipline our own children for their good, out of love for them. Right? Proverbs teaches us a lot about that. Proverbs 13, 24 teaches us that whoever spares the rod hates his son, but he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Friends, that's the type of love that God gives. It's a disciplining love. Love from his very heart because he loves you. Hebrews 12, 6. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves. This is also true when it comes to the church. You know, as churches, sometimes you walk through church discipline. A biblical church practices church discipline. Although this is often misunderstood and even avoided by many, church discipline is ultimately a measure of love. It's love for the church. It's love for the person that's under discipline. 
No, friends, love according to God isn't a lopsided, spoiling, pampering love, but it's a love that loves enough to tell somebody the truth. A love that will confront when the time is right. It's a love that exhorts. It's a love that corrects. It's a love that teaches. It's a love that can take you through the hardest of things and the most challenging of trials and for the suffering for our good. I mean, you want to think about somebody who was loved in the Scriptures. God speaks quite highly of Job. right? God definitely loved Job. But look at what he put him through. That's what Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who were called according to his purpose. So again, when it comes to the topic of love, it's not as the world might try to to define it or desire that it would be, but it's a standard of love poured out from the very courts of heaven in the way that only God can do so. And so John holds up that standard for his church. That's the standard, nothing less. And so it starts out with the right theology of love. And a right theology of love can only become through the study of the character of God. That is the baseline. That is the measuring rod. That's what we compare everything to. And so as we have established somewhat of God's perspective of love, with that in your pocket, now look at how this love is to be translated to us, to his church. So look back at the second half of verse 7 where it says, it says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. But then verse 8 says, anyone who does not love does not know God. So we see this both positively and negatively here. John is connecting love to knowing God. He's specifically showing us that authentic love has everything to do with truly knowing him. In fact, he says to truly love means that it all starts out with being born of God. You have to be born of God. right? Not born of God in the general sense that everyone in the world is born as an act of God, but rather that we are born again. It's a born again, born of God, person. And how do I know that? Well, it comes down to this simple connection found right here between being born of God and knowing God. Friends, the only way that you can truly know God is to be born of God, to be born again. To know God in the biblical sense is to know him in an intimate, saving relationship, which, if I ask you, who experiences that? Right? It's only those who have been saved by God. Those who have been born again. And so we see how the rebirth is connected to truly knowing God and knowing love. We understand, as, God, as John is teaching here, that the authentic Christian relationship with God is so crucially connected to authentic Christian love. So knowing God is the only pathway to knowing true Christian loves. He says, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. But then he says, anyone who does not love does not know God. And so, friends, there's a test. And that test of love is so crucial. It's so crucial. The question we have to ask ourselves is, have we been born again? Do we truly know God? 
And is there evidence of that rebirth in how you love? And so as we are to be examining ourselves to see whether we are in the faith, friends, examine your love. Is the way that you love proving the evidence that you have truly been reborn of God? Friends, it's so crucially connected together. J.C. Ryle says it so rightly, says, he says, if we have no love, we have no grace, we have no regeneration, we have no true Christianity. And so, friends, if you find yourself really struggling with love, there's nothing wrong with taking a good look at yourself, to taking a, a good hard look at what you're claiming in your faith, that as you profess to be reborn is your love truly proving that out and of course this is an area that you grow in remember when you're born again you're born as a what you're born as a spiritual child right a spiritual baby and we grow in these and these are these are things that the spirit also produces within us as we continue to grow in the faith but john says anyone who does not love does not know god your love or your lack of love may be saying a lot. Friends, as agape love, the kind of love that God is, seeks the good of others, ask yourself, whose good am I ultimately seeking? Who am I ultimately loving? Is it God? Is it others? Or is it myself? Friends, to be born again is to be born of God. And to be born of God means that you are born into his likeness and you're beginning to show as you grow some of his attributes, some of his character. And John is highlighting the attribute of love because, again, God is love. And if God is love, his offspring, his children, are going to show some of his attributes. Again, that doesn't mean that you're going to do it perfectly. Right? Can we be perfect like God? That is the standard, that is the measure, but that's something that we're growing in as we are here in, on this earth. And we grow in that as we put off the old self and we put on Christ, as we give ourselves to truly knowing God through the scriptures. And as we do that, we begin to love and look more like God. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. And so, friends, it begins with truly knowing the foundation of authentic love. This is something that you, you just can't whip up on your own. Authentic love is not something that is naturally within you. It is sourced outside of yourself. It is found in God alone, who is both the source and the substance of authentic love. Now, it's one thing to say that you love someone. But it's another to show your love. It's one thing, husbands, here this morning, it's one thing to say to your wife, I love you. But it's another thing to show her a, a token of your love. Like just think about when you were first dating uh, your girlfriend, which maybe you know, became your wife, and you showed your love for her through flowers or a date or just time together. Maybe even now, uh, ladies, as you are also to be uh, 
moving in your relationship together. Maybe it's one thing to say that you love him, but, but, but maybe it's saying another in how you're actually showing that love towards your husband, right? There's, there's physical affection, there's attention, there's time. There's also the words, but there's also the showing. Love, friends, isn't just about words. It's, it's not just about knowledge. It's also action. And it's also experience. And friends, the kind of love that comes from the God who is love, friends, has action. It has feet. It's not just in word, but it's in deed. And so it's demonstrated. Friends, the kind of agape love from God has the most infinitely and greatest loving demonstration in Jesus Christ. John goes on to say here in verse 9, he says, In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world, so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Friends, as our love must start out by knowing the foundation of authentic love, we must also be fueling our love by seeing the demonstration of authentic love. That's point number two, seeing the demonstration of authentic love. And that is the absolute, pure, pure and perfect and sufficient, final demonstration of love as witnessed in that very sending of love himself, our Savior, his only Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from our sins. Friends, if you want to see the greatest love in action ever, just look to the cross. You need to be looking to the cross. John says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into our world. Friends, to make manifest means to make visible. To make visible. That as, that as God would profess his love towards his people throughout all of redemptive history, there was no love more visible than when he sent his son to save us. To make manifest doesn't mean that his love was hidden. No, as we look throughout the Old Testament, we see that everywhere we look, God is expressing his love for his people. But it is most and very evidently demonstrated in the love that he, he came and brought to us through sending his son, Jesus Christ. Even when we look back to the garden, even when we see Adam and Eve, as they found themselves in sin, they chose to sin. Remember, as God was looking for them in the garden, calling out to them, as they were ashamed of their sin, what did they do? Right? They covered themselves with leaves with fig leaves. And even in that moment, the very first moment we see this, we see God demonstrating his love for them by pursuing them, and then he removes those fig leaves, and he covers them with animal skins. That's love. He's covering them with uh, his love over their shame. As you also fast forward to the story of Noah, and how the world was so evil in every way. Remember how the Lord spared one family through an ark. Friends, that is, that is a massive demonstration of love to humanity. That he didn't destroy us right then, but that he made the way through his love, through this one family. 
Those people didn't deserve that any more than, than we would. But he made the way. We also see that with the, with the Israelites, as they're saved from Pharaoh and, uh, through Egypt, we see how extremely visible and tangibly God saves them by parting the Red Sea and he destroys their, their enemies. There's so much love just to see in all of that. Friends, throughout the Old Testament, we see real intangible demonstrations of his saving love towards his people. But yet, as all of those are such incredible examples that, that prove God's love in action, all of them are nothing in comparison to his saving action that God displayed as he sent himself, as God sent his only son into the world, into a spiritually dead and evil world, so that his people would live through his son. Right? In this is love. Right? In this means that if you want to truly define love, friends, this is it. This is where you find it. In this is love, John says. Not that we have loved God, because we didn't. Right? Not that we have loved God, but even as we were haters of God, God loved us. God sent his son to be what? To be the propitiation for our sins. Friends, that is love. That is love. That not only did God determine to save us by his love, not only did he send his only son by his love, and not only did he send his son to come down to earth and put on flesh to live for us, but he sent his son on a death mission for the propitiation of our sins so that we could live in him and be forgiven by him and be worshipers of him. Propitiation kind of a love. That's a bit of a big word that we don't use much in our everyday life, but this is a word that packs so much meaning in the demonstration of God's love towards us. Propitiation. What does that mean? Well, propitiation comes from the Greek word helasmon, which literally means it's an action or an offering or a gift that is given for the purpose of appeasing or averting someone's rightful anger or wrath. It's, it's as if you have offended somebody so very seriously or you have sinned against somebody so grievously that reparations are going to have to be made in order to amend that relationship. And so what John is referring to here regarding God's love through propitiation is that an infinite debt of sin is owed to God by the whole world, and that we have so grievously sinned against his holy name. Romans 2.5 says that we have, in that sin, we have been storing up wrath against ourselves for the day of God's wrath. And then, friends, this wrath, this debt, could never be repaid by us. It can never be repaid by our own doing. We cannot do enough good things. In fact, this concept of propitiation was often even used with the pagan religions of the day. When people all over the known world back then 
believed that these gods were so angry with them all the time, they had to continually be doing things to settle the wrath of all of these pagan gods. And so they would offer them sacrifices and offerings, even to the point of sacrificing people and even sacrificing their own children to try to appease these so-called gods. And so in these false religions of the day, there was a continual propitiation on their part. But friends, the difference between the true God of the Bible, as he is a God of both justice and love, even though he does hold wrath over our sin as we are unrepentant, the difference with our God is that he knows we could never make enough reparations. You and I could never offer enough propitiation. No, the difference with the gospel is that he is is the one. God is the one who made the offering. He is the one who offered himself. He is the only one that could appease his own wrath, and he did that through sending his own son. Friends, you and I could never sacrifice enough. You and I could never try to pay enough debt. You and I could never do enough good things. And so God had to make the way. And friends, it is founded upon his love. It's his benevolent plan to pay the debt himself, to satisfy his own wrath out of love. And so he sends his son, Christ Jesus. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son to make propitiation. Again, that could never be made by us, but could only be made by him. Friends, that is the gospel. And that is central to the gospel. That you and I weren't even looking to be saved. You and I weren't even lovers of God. In fact, the Bible teaches us that we were haters of God. And that's what John says here. He says, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. The only son, the only action, the only offering that could save anybody from their own wrath of sin. Friends, in this is love. In this is love. Friends, this is the sweetest, most beautiful, most awe-producing reality that we could ever try to wrap our minds around. That out of love, God condemned his own son to save us. That out of love that we don't deserve because of God's loving character, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, that he would crush his own son for our iniquities. That you and I had an infinite debt to pay. That we could never repay, even in a trillion Passover lamb sacrifice. There was only one perfect lamb, Jesus Christ, God himself, God the Son, who so willingly suffered the excruciating wrath of God on our behalf. That he alone suffered the infinite weight of God's anger out of love for us. That for our sake, he made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. Friends, that's propitiation. Christ's propitiation. Infinite love and infinite life, right? We sing that song in Christ alone, right? 
We sing till on that cross as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here in the death of Christ I live. We need to praise our God, friends, for such love. That is authentic love. I mean, just think about how Paul himself articulates this in Romans 5, 6 to 8, where he says, For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That's you, that's me. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare even die. Verse 8, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, can you see it? Can you see, can you behold it? Can you fathom the authentic love of God? Can you understand it? It's like the old hymn, And Can It Be? We, we sing these lyrics, And can it be that, that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? Died he for me who caused his pain, for me who him to death pursued. Amazing love. How can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Friends, this is why we have songs. This is why we sing. This is why music is even a thing. To praise the Lord for his unfathomable love. Even though we can't even fully comprehend it, we apprehend it, we hold on to it, we embrace it. Again, Leon Morris says this, it's one, of, it's one of the New Testament's resounding paradoxes that it is God's love that averts God's wrath from us. And indeed, that is precisely in this averting of wrath that we see what real love is. Friends, this is who God is. As God is both loving and just, he satisfies his own justice by loving us enough to sacrifice his own son for us. So it's one thing to say I love you and it's another to show it. And to show it so infinitely in the propitiation of Jesus Christ. So as John is defining authentic love for his people, again, God is the standard, God is the source, God is the substance, God is the, the sacrifice himself, it's all him. So if you're trying to explain the love of God to someone, be careful to tell them the whole story. Tell the whole story about the, the horrifying tragedy of our sin in the face of a holy God. Tell them the bad news first, but then follow up with the good news, the greatest news ever, that it was out of love that he saved us, that you and I didn't deserve it, but he did it because God is love. And that should just melt us in humility in confession and repentance. That should just grow our love for him. Friends, authentic love is not defined by the world. It is defined by God, and he defined it 2,000 years ago through his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. And so we need to see that demonstration. We need to embrace that demonstration of his love. Believe in the cross. Believe in Jesus. And so as we are to be knowing the foundation of authentic love and seeing the demonstration of true authentic love in Christ, 
And as we are the recipients of such amazing love, thirdly, we then need to be the substantiation of authentic love. We need to be the substantiation of authentic love. And so as John began his letter here by commanding the church to love one another, he sets the groundwork here also in verse 11 as he says, Beloved, if God so loved us, talking about all of what he's also spoken of already, if God so loved us, and he did, we also ought to love one another. Because of that amazing love on display in Jesus Christ, we also ought to love one another. He says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Friends, it's his love that motivates. It's his love that compels and propels the love that we are to have for one another. I mean, if you really think about it, how could we not operate in any other way than to love one another? If God so loved us, that's, that's what needs to be pouring out of us. As the Spirit's at work, and as the Word is doing the work in the hands of the Spirit, and as we cast our minds constantly to Calvary, to the cross, it should just overflow through us. There is no other option. This is how it works. Friends, we are founded upon his love, and we are fueled by his love, and we are bound in his love to love others, to love each other, to love one another. But yet, even though you may believe all of this, you may say, but you know what, that, 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 that person is hard to love. You know, that, the way that that person treated me, they don't, they don't deserve my love. You might even say that you've tried to love that person, but they haven't returned my love. Therefore, I'm cutting them out of my love. Maybe it's a friend who betrayed you or somebody who hurts you. Maybe it's someone in your life or even in the church who, who did you wrong and, and you, don't, you just don't feel like loving them anymore. Maybe it's somebody in your life who not only doesn't love you but despises you. Someone who Satan has even maybe used against you. Maybe it's somebody who so grievously sinned against you that you have no more room in your heart for them at all. Maybe you're withholding your love from someone in your family. Maybe it's in your own home, within your own marriage. Maybe you're withholding love from your spouse. And maybe you have no hope for them ever to change. Friends, although this, this fallen world can, can really be tough and exhausting, and hurtful. Our choice not to extend love towards each other, it's not something that we have the right to do. We don't have the right to withhold that same love that was shown to us by Jesus, especially in the church. It's not a freedom that we have. No, we are bound to this love. We are compelled by this love. This isn't set by our standards, by our feelings, by our experiences. 
No, it's a standard of love that is set forth by the fountainhead of love, God himself, and he pours it out into all of us by the blood of Jesus Christ, this agape love. And friends, it's not conditional. It's not earned. It can't be bought with amongst each other. Now, as we remember the shocking truth and the beauty of the cross, we must remember that we weren't loved by God because we weren't loved from God because we were lovable. No, right? We, the Bible says we were lovers of self. We were, we were natural haters of God. We were betrayers of God since the very beginning. We're the ones who broke his righteous laws, and we continued in that sin before his very face. We rebelled. We went our own way. We didn't deserve anything at all. But he so lavishly poured out his love towards us, and it overflowed to us through his Son. Not that we loved him, but that he loved us. And friends, that is the standard... That is the motivation, that is the measure that we are called, we're act, in fact, we are commanded to have for one another. So friends, you can't reject that. This is something you need to engage in the spirit, in obedience to God. We need to substantiate this. Friends, to substantiate means to show something to be true. As we are commanded now to love one another, the very response and reaction of us loving each other as God so loved us just proves, it just proves to each other and it proves to the world that this gospel stuff that we talk about is really true. That they will know we are Christians by the love that we have for one another. This shows the world that Jesus is really true. That's how Paul closes out this section as he says, no one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us, right? As God is spirit, friends, right? Colossians 1.15 speaks about God as being invisible. And as Jesus is the image of the invisible God, now as he is ascended to the right hand of the Father, Friends, the way that the world sees the truth of God's love is through you. The way that the world is to most clearly see the truth of God is by seeing his transforming, perfecting love in the church. That as God's presence abides in us by his spirit, and as his love is being poured out into us, we pour it out into each other. Friends, it all comes out in love. And the world is watching. John 13, 35 says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So friends, if you, want to, if you want to show the truth of God to your family, to your friends, to your neighbors, to the whole world, it all comes down to love. It's the love that you have for each other right here. It's the love that God is extending through you into the watching world, showing to them as substantiated through you that he is real as evidence in the love that we have for one another, friends. That's the love that never ends. That's the love that covers a multitude of sins. That's the love that exhorts and confronts and admonishes. This is love that confesses and repents. This is love that forgives 70 times 7. This is love that counsels and heals and worships. And friends, this is what God is all about. This is who he is. 
And if we are his children, this is who we are in him as the church. Friends, the reason John needed to instruct his church and the reason the Holy Spirit needs to instruct all of us still today is, again, this kind of love is not natural to us. It is supernatural. The reason that we need to hear about this over and over again is because authentic love is not easy. As authentic love is sourced in the eternal fountainhead of God's abundant love, and as Christ's example of wrath-appeasing, sacrificial love sets the standard for all love to be measured, and as we have the abiding Spirit who is completing and perfecting God's love in us, friends, you could actually love one another. And you must love one another. And so redemption holds as, as you as a church have been gathering for, I think, somewhat close to nine years. Grant, it's about nine years. As you've walked through some glorious, yet even challenging days together, I believe this is fitting. This is fitting for you all for the days ahead that as you continue to pray for unity, that Lord willing, you will strive for so many more years together for the gospel mission. And that in that striving, the key to health and maturity in the glory of the Lord is that you would love one another as poured out to you through Jesus Christ. Friends, we know that the church is made up of imperfect people who love imperfectly. But we know that Christ's love is, as it says in the text, is being perfected. It means that it's being completed in you. You can know that you can grow in this agape type of love as you are abiding in Christ and abiding together. Press into the substantiation of that love so that a watching world can see that the gospel is true, Jesus is real, and that he's come to save us out of love for our sins. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. If you want to love one another the way God loves, as we look in this text, remember these three things. We need to know the foundation of authentic love. We need to see the demonstration of authentic love. And we need to be the substantiation of authentic love. Let's pray. Our God in heaven, we, even as we see the beauty of your love, in the person and the work of Jesus Christ. And as I even see the evidence of your love in these people before me, we know that we have work to do. We know that uh, we have the Spirit. And if we have the Spirit, we also have the Word. And if we have all that, we also have each other. We have everything we need to grow in the love of Jesus Christ. And so wherever you are at work within the church here this morning, maybe there's relations that need repairing that forgiveness would be sought, that sin would be repented of, that it would be confessed, and that that person would also forgive that other person out of love, that as they, that would be produced in marriages and families and in church relationships and, and whatever you have before us in your body, God, we just pray for your hand to be at work, that you would just grow this church in unity, grow them in love, and that this town of Olds and the whole surrounding area, that this church would stand as a beacon of, 
of your gospel, that it would be salt and light here in this area, and that your gospel mission would go forth in power because the world would see that they love one another. And this can only be done because we know the gospel, because we know Jesus Christ. We know the finished work that he did on the cross, and we know that he rose from the grave, conquering sin and death, appeasing your wrath. And he has since ascended on high, and he is coming back to one day take us home. God, we are so thankful. We, we worship you because of who you are, that you are a God of love, and that you would even dare love us. We love you, and we pray it in your name. Well, as we, uh, as we continue to worship, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, and I see the, the usher team is going to be handing that.